Good morning, LCM. Today is March 7th, 2021, and we are living in an amazingly fruitful time in our church's history as we are becoming even more connected to the vine of Israel, our great warrior king. We are experiencing the miracle of fermentation in our lives, and the very change agent of the kingdom is at work in our marriages, it's at work in our parenting, and it's at work in the ministries. Somebody say ministries. Ministries. This is what life-changing ministries is all about, the ministries that are going on inside of your homes that we are collecting and sharing in this together. Amen. It's kind of the reason why I wore this uh, sweater today. It's, it's wine-colored. It's to remind, remind me that I'm to have that miracle of fermentation always going on inside of me. In addition to the glass of wine that we'll have later on tonight, too. Look, this morning, your pastors are excited to continue in our ancient past series. Are you guys excited? Yeah. Look, we want to remind you of a key scripture that is guiding us in this pursuit of the ancient past. Jeremiah 6.16. Say ancient past whenever you get there. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is. And walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. Look, this scripture has been a heavenly directive for us in this series. And as we have been asking for the ancient paths, as we've been asking where the good way is, once you understand, church, our confidence is building. It's rising, knowing that God will provide the strength for us to walk in that ancient path. And simultaneously, as we're walking in that ancient path, we're going to find rest for our souls as we do it. There's no schedule too busy when it's placed rightly upon the ancient path. It makes sense why your lives may have been experiencing some interesting things this week. Does anybody had an interesting week this week? Difficulties that arose, surprising things, your emotions were all out of control, things that were happening that were surprising to you? Of course it is. Supposed to be. Because you are now getting back to an ancient path. We're asking the right questions. God is moving upon us and he's helping us. Don't be distracted by what's going on. Don't be distracted by the discouragements are there because God is doing something in us. He is showing us how to walk in a way that will allow us, that will enable us to be able to conquer the nations that he has set for us to engage with. Though you don't see it yet today, you can rest assured that God is causing us. He is helping us to walk on an ancient path, and therefore the ancient power of our great king is going to be with us. Let's turn to Psalm chapter 80 as we continue on this thought today. Psalm chapter 80, and we're going to begin in verse 7. Psalm chapter 80 and verse 7. Somebody say ancient path when you get there. It says this. Restore us, God Almighty. Make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. You transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. Now, you should remember that last Sunday when we were here together, we talked about that this van, this vine that was transplanted from Egypt was the very vine of the nation Israel. He took them out of Egypt and planted them. You should also remember from last week that we read through John 15, and it should have made some incredible connections in your heart. Anybody remember about John 15 from last week? 
where Jesus says, I am the true vine, my father is the gardener, and by verse 5, he's saying, I am the vine. Uh, Pastor, I thought you said Israel was the vine. Yes, Israel is the vine, and Jesus is the very embodiment of that vine. That embodiment of Israel in everything that it is and it will be is seen in Jesus, the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah. And we found out to be connected to this vine means everything. It will allow you to be fruitful and produce fruit that would last. Let's go on to verse 9. I want to show you something. That's where we were last week, but we're going somewhere today. You cleared the ground for it. Oh, it didn't just magically happen. No, God cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. And then what is the very first explanation of it filling the land? Look at verse 10. The mountains were covered with its shade. It starts off talking about a vine that God has cleared the ground for. And that's a whole, you can do a whole entire sermon series just on the idea of what God did to clear the ground for Israel to be planted. But then it starts taking hold. It starts growing over the entirety of the land. And the very first place that it mentions are the mountains were covered with it. That with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. Its branches reached as far as the sea. When you plant a vine... You plant that in something known as a vineyard. Real fancy, right? <laughs> it's like, okay, we got you. This vineyard, in this case, has been seen to be planted on a mountain. A vineyard that was planted on an ancient mountain. We want you to understand today, as we're discussing the ancient past, as we're beginning to walk through this and dig deeper, dig through the strata of all kind of thoughts on it, we are understanding that this ancient path is going to first lead us to an ancient mountain. We're going to cover the importance of ancient mountains today. They are clearly geographical markers, but we want to let you know right here at the start that we are talking about spiritual markers as well. These are important aspects for us. And today, the title of our sermon is Ancient Mountains. Everybody say, Ancient Mountains. Ancient Mountains. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 32, and you will say Ancient Mountains whenever you get there. We're going to start in verse 31. For their rock is not like our rock. As even our enemies concede, <laughs> their vine comes from the vine of Sodom and from the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are filled with poison and their clusters with bitterness. Their wine is the venom of serpents, the deadly poison of cobras. Have I not kept this in reserve and sealed it in my vault? It is mine to avenge. I will repay. In due time, their foot will slip. Their day of disaster is near, and their doom rushes upon them. In reading this verse, it's clear that God's fury will be poured out on those who have defected as it was poured out on Sodom and Gomorrah. This is taking place and being spoken of after the events of Sodom and Gomorrah. That judgment is near along with their very sudden doom. Their vine is rooted in rebellion and is planted on an ancient mountain that will be judged. Did you hear the certainty of judgment that is coming upon them? That is the very produce of these ancient vines of deviance. 
And both the vine of God and the vine of the rebellious are ancient. The vine of the rebellious and the vine of God are ancient. But having origins that are celestial, meaning those vines of the rebellious, they have origins that are celestial. So let's go to the origin of this rebellious heavenly defection. Let's go to Genesis chapter 6. Everybody turn with us to Genesis chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 1. Somebody say ancient mountain when you get there. As we read from the ESV sound booth. ESV is the word we're going to read it from. Now we're just eight minutes in. <laughs> I mean, we're just, we're just barely dipping our, our toe into the water here this morning. This is already good. Hey, I, I'm telling you, we got, I know that we're on the right track. I took my phone out of my pocket and I set it here without touching it. The demonic Google just starts talking to me on stage. We have cymbals clashing on drums that aren't being touched. Hey, we're getting it right today. Amen. So you don't let any distractions come. You don't let anything settle in on you because we have the right word. We are going in the right direction, and you should start be able to feel it. Because we're going to talk about some ancient defections that began in some ancient mountains, and we're going to look at Genesis 6 to help us to understand it. Everybody, Genesis 6 and verse 1, it says this. When man began to multiply on the face of the earth, on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive. And they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not abide with man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward. When the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. These were mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Now in Genesis 6, we see the picture. We see the rebellious defection of archonic celestial powers as they're attempting to corrupt the vine of God and to pollute the very ancient mountain of God. They're, through an interference from spiritual beings, they're interacting with the human race. Now, for those, we, I see we have a lot of guests today. I'm, I'm so glad that you're here. What we are teaching about these Nephilim, these hybrids of celestial beings and earthly, and earthly humans, is something that we've taught on for probably hundreds of hours in this church. I promise I'll be happy to sit down with any of you and go over this with you and show you the overwhelming scriptural evidence. See, here in this passage, daughters of men in the Hebrew is benot ha-adam, the daughters of man. And it's meant to be contrasted with the benai ha-elohim. Man, y'all are getting to be Greek, uh, Hebrew scholars, aren't you? Benai ha-elohim, which means the sons of God. See, that mixture is producing a Nephilim, is the name of the, of the mixed breed, the hybrid offspring that would continue to sow their rebellious defection into mankind. These, this word, when you look at it in the Septuagint, it's translated into words like gigantes, giants. It's the same word, in the same, it comes from the same root words that in Greek literature is used to describe the word titans. Yep. This is what's being seen here in Genesis 6. This views in accordance with ancient orthodoxy. Ancient. Somebody say ancient. Ancient. The rabbinic literature, a book of Enoch, testimony of the 12 patriarchs, Josephus Flavius, 
the Septuagint. And the truth is, is we've been teaching this as a church for a long time. We've been teaching many, many decades. And as a matter of fact, this might be a good season for you to go revisit some teachings that we did about the celestial powers that we had talked about. It's amazing. It was almost exactly one year ago that we were talking about celestial powers. Huh. This is an incredible thing. And this is what God is showing here in this rebellious nature. You know what comes after Genesis 6. You know that judgment was brought. But the reason that the judgment was so serious is because these arconic celestial powers are trying to pervert what God is saying, what God's plan is for mankind. And they're trying right here at the beginning to create a defection, uh, uh, a deviant path for people to get on. You know, as, as we're having the ancient paths revealed to us, the deeper understandings of what God has been after uh, this entire time that we've been investigating it for a year. Well, we begin to look to some resources, and the pastor mentioned earlier an ancient orthodoxy of resources that illustrate and give a, some other information of what was happening around this time. Well, we have a slide for you. This is from the book of Enoch. In the book of Enoch, chapter 6, and passage, uh, I'll start in verse 5, it's speaking about the same thing that was going on as we read in Genesis 6. Then swear they all together and bound themselves by mutual imprecations upon it. And they were in all 200 who descended in the days of Jared on the summit of Mount Hermon. And they called it Mount Hermon because they had sworn and bound themselves by mutual imprecations on it. Look, the vine of rebellion was rooted in the highest peak in the region of Israel, and that is here on Mount Hermon. Look, we, we want to dig into this a little bit further. The word Hermon is defined by the defective beings as anathema, or they bound themselves to devoted to destruction. So a way to define Hermon means devoted to destruction. And they bound themselves by mutual imprecations to be devoted to the destruction that they're trying to bring forth from that mountain, but would also come upon them. The, the ancient mountain of Hermon is also connected clearly and biblically to the region of Bashan. Do you guys remember that from Celestial Powers? It is devoted to destruction, not just because of a geographical flaw, but because this ancient mountain is the site of ancient defections and sin. We're in the process of discovering ancient paths that show ancient defections who sought to elevate themselves above the name of the Lord. And this Mount Hermon was the pinnacle of what was happening in Genesis 6. So let's take a look at the next defection that was seeking to continue the rebellion of Genesis 6, elevating their name above God's name and ultimately devoted to destruction like Mount Hermon. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 11, and we're going to look at verse 4. While you're turning there, I want you to understand that when they're swearing by mutual imprecations, that is not the language of very many people in this room. You don't go, oh, clearly, I understand exactly what that means. They realize that by them descending on Mount Hermon, that being the mountain that they are choosing to establish their cause, they're actually swearing by mutual curses upon themselves. 
That's why, Herman, you can look in, in biblical lexicons and it says it's an anathema. Again, not a word that we normally use. It's devoted to destruction, and they understood that this mountain is now representing the entire kind of rebellion that entered into humanity. Look at Genesis 11 and verse 4. Say ancient mountains when you're there. Look at verse 4. They said this. Come, let us build a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Here we see at the Tower of Babel. You guys know that story, right? It's right here at the beginning. In Genesis 6, you see a, a celestial defection. By Genesis 11, after the judgment and everything that happened in Noah's day, and then reestablishing, and by Genesis 10, you get a listing of the table of nations, the sons of Noah that were supposed to spread out and continue with the mandate that God gave in Genesis 1. Somebody say that's ancient. That's ancient. In Genesis 1, God's plan was for man to go fill the earth and subdue it. Here, in, in Genesis, or rather in Genesis 6, we saw that that defection occurred, and now in Genesis 11, as if connected to the same corruption of Mount Hermon, here, this rebellion in mankind is to build their own tower that reaches to the heavens. If we're talking about ancient mountains today, perhaps since they couldn't create a literal mountain, create, perhaps this tower that they were trying to create was showing that they were still connected to Mount Hermon because they wanted to build their own mountain. They wanted to build a tower that reached into the heavens. See, but God is still determined to establish his ancient path from the beginning, and he brought about judgment on this generation. They didn't want to do what he said, so he just forced them to do and accomplish what he wanted. He confused their languages, and they began to spread out all across the earth, which was God's plan anyway. See, ultimately, these defectors, these deviant paths are not able to thwart God's plan. There's no way that they can stop it. You can try, but you cannot stop God's plan. But what is the enemy constantly trying to do to us? Get us distracted from the actual plan that God has. See, they didn't heed the judgment that was brought on the, on the defection birthed at Mount Hermon the first time. They didn't listen. They didn't learn. It was just Genesis 6. We're in Genesis 11. They're still being driven by the same anathema of walking on an ancient path, the same destruction of walking from that ancient mountain that's opposed to God's righteousness, God's ancient path, and God's ancient mountains that he's going to show us. Church, we're going to tell you. We're just clenching with the reality of what these look like. These ancient deviant paths that originate from ancient mountains continue long after the realities of Genesis 11. We could document this for you. We can go through it in, 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 in very explicit detail, but we're just going to kind of skip ahead. We're going to try to let you know that it was there at the very beginning. It's working through in Genesis 6 and Genesis 11. By Joshua 12, we have something interesting. Just turn with me really quickly to Joshua 12. It's worth it. The Nephilim who were there in, in Noah's day and after. Look at what Joshua 12 in verse 4 and 5 says. Now we've gone from the time of Babel. We've gone all the way through the days of Moses. And we're into the days of Joshua as they are conquering the promised land. They are in the land and they are battling. They are warring to get what was promised to them. They were warring to get what was promised to them. Huh. 
You mean what God promises to you, what he declares to you, that his victory for you, you have to go fight for? Yes, because there are opposing forces that are here. Look at Joshua 12 and verse 4 and 5. And the territory of Og, king of Bashan. I think Pastor Matt just mentioned Bashan. I think he just mentioned it there at the summit of, of Hermon. One of the last of the Rephaites. One of the last of the Nephilim that were still left on the earth at this time. A giant of a king. A Goliath kind of king. We know that, that these last even into David's day, but we're seeing it here in Joshua's day. One of the last of the Rephaites who reigned in Ashtoreth and Edri. He ruled over Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon is ruled over by King Og. Why is Og such a, a pivotal force? Why do the praises of, it, of God's people constantly go back to them defeating Sihon and Og? They're, 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 the, the history of their people, their songs that they teach children continually go back to how God defeated Sihon, how God defeated Og in the days of, of Joshua. Why does it keep going back there? Because Og is a representation of the wrong mountain with the wrong path on it. And they're saying, this is important. This offends God. This kind of path from this kind of place is offensive to God. And God is going to make some epic, some epic war. We're just setting the stage for you. Yeah. Because we're trying to get to a battle. We're trying to let you know who the players in the, in, in the war are and where they're coming from. But we've got some warlike things that we're going to share with you today. Are you ready to handle this today? Yeah. Are you ready to understand that these ancient mountains, these that we've been speaking about, this Hermon is showing you that there were ancient paths of the enemy trying to thwart God's plan, but you can rest assured that God has an answer for him. Every problem that's ever arose, God always has a solution to fix. That's when we're discovering the ancient past. They're going to lead us directly to God's solution for these very problems. Because, look, there are many ancient mountains, but there's only one good way. What we want to know about our great warrior king is that no deviant path or defection will stop what he has originated from before time began. His plan was initiated, it stands, and it will be completed. From ancient times, he has laid out his path, and it is through his faithfulness that he begins to reveal his ancient path to and through an ancient mountain, a specific ancient mountain. So let's go to Exodus chapter 3, and we'll pick up in verse 12. Say ancient mountains when you get there. And God said... I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Everybody say this mountain. This mountain. So look, this is how things stacked up. God appears to Moses in a burning bush at the foot of Mount Sinai. God is beginning to reveal his ancient path to his faithful servant. The key to beginning this path is found at Mount Sinai, which they will come back to eventually. Since you're there in Exodus, turn to Exodus chapter 15. Just like there are ancient paths 
You're also seeing some ancient mountains that are establishing themselves to be more than just singular mountains. Look at Exodus 15 and verse 13. It says this. This is the song of Moses. They've just come through the Red Sea. It says this, in your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will get grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Did you hear some of these same names in the prophecies that came forth today? Exactly. Those were unscheduled prophecies from your pastors. Those were men who were tapped in to the same and the righteous way of the heavens, and they shared with you what God was saying to this church. It was almost like they could have been reading from this very passage. As God is going forth, as he's leading his people, there are enemies that are around. And this, this picture, this song that Moses is saying, is as he's leading us through, the enemies are going to stand and start to quake. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of, Moab, of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Why? Because the God of the armies of heaven are leading them through this. Terror and dread will fall upon them in verse 16. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as stone until your people pass by, O Lord, until the people you brought pass by. Look at verse 17. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance. Ooh. Imagine, I wonder what he was planting, if not a vine. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, O Lord, you made for your dwelling place, the sanctuary, O Lord, that your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever, the Lord. He's going to reign. This is a song that Moses is singing. He started out observing a burning bush at the foot of Mount Sinai. God said, you're going to know that I'm with you when you go in and lead your people out and come right back here. I'm going to start you at Sinai. You're going to walk into Egypt. You're going to say, let's go, boys. And you're all going to all walk out and come back here to Sinai. Then you're going to know that I was with you. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. You're going to have to go through the most incredible things while I judge the gods of Egypt and bring you back out. And then you're going to realize that it was me the whole time. Yeah. At least that's just Moses, right? Yeah. That, is this our lives or what? Okay, LCM, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to build you up. You're going to have to scratch out the gems from the earth. You're going to have to scratch and claw and fight for everything you have. And I'm going to send you all across the world. I've got a specific reason that I want you to help me conquer, right? And then when you go here, and you're going to know that I was with you after you've conquered that land. So wait, I, I see a pattern of developing here. Number one... In Exodus 3, Moses is struggling with this confidence probably more than he ever had before. God is speaking to him exactly what he needs to build his confidence that will go out and conquer in, in the name of the Lord and, and have God's will. In that process of having his confidence built, he is starting him at a place of origin that his confidence will then be displayed in even greater fashion when he returns. It's almost like God said, hey... That section of the world, that region of a swan that I called you to, 
I'm going to build you. I'm going to give you confidence to go there. And when you're there, then you're going to know that I've been with you the entire time. That's exactly it. Praise God. Just because you don't see it today doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Keep walking in the ancient path. Yeah. You're not, we're not the first that he's done it this way. Yes. God often calls people, and then they have to go through a long process, but most fail somewhere in the journey. They just don't keep going because they're like, man, I must have been wrong. God must have failed. I'm not the right one. I don't have enough. Stop. Be on the ancient path because you know that he's going to empower you. If he said it, he will make it happen in you. Amen. The problem isn't his ability to get you back where he wants you to go. Amen. The problem is, is when we look at it and we get distracted. Oh, look, here's something shiny. Man, this is way too difficult. That's it. And we stop. But God is here. And I got to tell you something. This is a song of exaltation for Moses. And he's not yet back to Sinai. He's just on his way. He's on his way. <laughs> he's going, oh, man, look at this. You are going to bring us. You're going to bring them in and plant them. You're going to plant them. Where is he going to plant them? On the mountainside. On the mountain of his presence. He is birthing them there. He is building them there. He's wedding them there. And we're going to take a look at it in Exodus chapter 19. Mm. Go to Exodus 19. Say ancient mountains whenever you get there. Now, what you see in Exodus 15 is a song of victory, a song of beginning to conquer and seeing God's hand displayed in the, the, the Red Sea. Notice in Exodus 3 that God did not give Moses details. He gave him the confidence, but he did not give him the details of how things would play out. And as the details played out in the midst of difficulties, it proved God even that much more right of what he originally said. So here in Exodus 19, this continues. Verse 1. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of, desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of of the mountain then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said this is what you are to say to the Israel the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles wings and brought you to myself now where are they again at this moment Sinai Sinai now, if you, be, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Come on, maximize marriages. You know exactly what this passage means. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. See, what God is declaring is the very key to this whole story. That they have arrived at the mountain, but so has God. He was waiting there for them and you, taking his presence, leading them to that point. Now, compare this with Genesis 6 and Genesis 11, where in Genesis 6, you have this heavenly defection. Then you have a replication 
of that heavenly defection that wants to exalt itself at the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. But here you have a people that are his very own, his treasured possession that he is delivering out of the control and oppression of this heavenly defection. And he's taking them to be his own. And there on this mountain, he is giving them the declarations that will make them uh, a sign to all the nations that they belong to God and God alone and poking right in the face of those heavenly defected powers. This is mine. And on this mountain, I got somewhere to go with an ancient path that's going to come right into your face. At Mount Sinai, the Lord would give his people his laws and decrees that would guide them along his ancient path through the desert and into the land of Canaan. Confronting the ancient remnants of Rephaim that inhabited that land. In the times prior to the patriarchs, men sought blessings by interacting with celestial powers on Mount Hermon. In Genesis 49, though, Jacob was telling his son that the blessings given to him are better. Let me read this to you out of Genesis 49, verse 26. Your father's blessings are greater than the blessings of the ancient mountains than the bounty of the age-old hills. What Jacob is doing is that he is focusing his son on what is greater than what he saw on earth. I want to return you back to the ancient mountain where all blessings truly come from, and that is the mountain of the Lord. See, he's declared, Jacob is declaring that his blessings are of greater strength than those of the ancient mountains. Just do a word study for that word greater in verse 26. It means strength, gibor. The blessings that were sought on Mount Hermon by those on earth were seeking a corrupted vine that was on that corrupted mountain. But here Jacob is giving his son the blessings to have confidence to conquer. This is something that we're going out with all of our heart particularly in this stage of where we're at, relating to the prophecies and the ancient path that God has had us on this whole time. I have given you my spirit. I have given you this miracle of fermentation to empower you. And now I want you to know that you can have confidence to go out and conquer. This is who they are. But guys, this is who I am. And the I am is greater than the who they are. Come on now, we've, we've tried to condense about 100 hours of teaching down to 34 minutes and 32 seconds. Okay? Let me, let me just put this as simply as I can put it for you. These mountains are representing two clubs, two teams. The team that was starting off in the home base, I don't know if any of you young men ever did this when you were growing up, but that's all that we did during the summer times, is we'd run and we'd create bases out in the woods. We'd, we'd go capture the flag and do things like this. This is an enemy's base that's set up at Mount Hermon. And God's saying, oh, yeah? I'm setting up my base right here at Mount Sinai. This is going to represent not only our home base, but this is going to represent our two kingdoms. <laughs> we're going to have your colors. I'm going to have my colors. And we're going to go at it. There's going to be actual battles that are going to ensue. And God is setting up his base here. And even in the time of Moses that we're talking about, Israel interacted with the one true God. They're, they're interacting with him on a way at an ancient mountain called Sinai. See, their blessing is better. Pastor just read to you from Genesis 49. And in Jacob's day, while Jacob is blessing his son Joseph, 
And he's talking about the blessing that you're going to get, Joseph, is better than the ones that people were seeking at at other places, at other ancient mountains. They were actually crying out for the power, for encouragement, for blessings from there. But I got something much better for you. Look at what it says in Deuteronomy 33. This is a recap from Moses about what you just read in Genesis 49. This is Deuteronomy 33. Look at verse 13. It says this, about Joseph, he said, may the Lord bless his land, huh? his turf, his home base, with the precious dew from heaven above, with the deep waters that lie below, with the best the sun brings forth, with the finest that the moon can yield, with the choicest gifts of the ancient mountains, with the fruitfulness of the everlasting or the ancient hills with the best gifts of the earth and its fullness. You ready for this? God is going to give you blessings here, and this is Moses' recap. Listen to what he goes on to say. With the best gifts of the earth and its fullness and the favor of him who dwelt in the burning bush. The one you guys were crying, others around you were crying out for blessings from these ancient mountains. You're going to get something that far surpasses that. And let me make sure that you understand, you're going to get the favor of him who dwelt at Mount Sinai, now at Mount Hermon. You're going to get this kind of blessing. Let all of these rest on the head of Joseph, on the brow of the prince among his brothers. See, the ancient mar uh, mountains are markers along the ancient path. They're used to identify the kingdom that you've been birthed from, and it makes it incredibly apparent. Now that we've laid that groundwork for you, now that we've laid these ancient mountains and we're focusing in on two that are typifying all the rest, of Mount Hermon, a mountain devoted to destruction, to rebellion, to deviant past, and Mount Sinai that is devoted to the very presence of the God who is above all gods, the King who is above all kings. Turn with us to Psalm chapter 68. Psalm 68, we're going to look at verse 15. Psalm 68, verse 15. O mountain of God, mountain of Bashan, O many peaked mountain, mountain of Bashan, why do you look with hatred, O many peaked mountain, at the mount that God desired for his abode? Yes, where the Lord will dwell forever. The chariots of God are twice 10,000, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. I'm reading from the ESV here. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. Now, before we get to that, because that, that's good. This passage begins with, O mountain of God. There's a double meaning here, meaning that the word used in Hebrew for God is Elohim. It is a plural sense of what's being presented. So do we have the mountain of God or do we have the mountain of the gods? Yes. Yes, we do. Well, what's clear is here is that pastor made a connection earlier is what is happening in this region of Bashan? What is happening in this mini-peaked mountain? You have a defection that's taking place. 
a defection that now God is going to oppose. And we have like the two teams that Pastor mentioned earlier. We have Mount Hermon versus Mount Sinai. And we know that there is a contention between the two because the verse says it. Why do you look with hatred at the mount that God desires for his abode? Yes, where the Lord will dwell forever. You hear that hatred, that jealousy that's within Bashan, and it's looking towards Sinai. It's looking towards God's presence and God's kingdom, and it is wanting to annihilate it. But God's perspective is, I'm going to annihilate you. That I'm going to take where my presence is on my mountain, and that is going to be where I dwell. It, Sinai is now within the sanctuary. Where my presence dwells and from which I will go out and make war to conquer you. See, what's represented here is the divergent ancient past that we've seen from the beginning. And what was in Genesis 6 is now growing ever closer to a confrontation as God's people are moving closer to establishing his rule on earth, but particularly on the mountain where God's presence dwells, Sinai being in the sanctuary. Does it that just make this passage spring to life in your understanding? Why are we talking about mountains? This is, oh, this is just a metaphor. Oh, it's just poetic voice, and we're going to talk about the mountains. You're talking about kingdoms that are about to get in a fight. You're talking about God saying, I see how jealous you are of me. I see you there on Hermon. I'm standing here on Sinai. By the way, my sanctuary is right here. And look what he goes on to say in verse 18. You ascended on high leading a host of captives in your train. This is the psalmist Asaph singing about God. You ascended on high. You led a host of captives in your train, and you received gifts from men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord may dwell there. There's no question about where the there is in this case. You understand what's going on, but listen to the speech. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives. What kind of language is this? This is, this is insurrection kind of language. This is an invasion kind of language that says that God is going to come in and he's going to take the captives with him. He's going to conquer them and they'll be trailing behind. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess because when he gets done with this, he will prove supremacy to every creature, both in the heavens and on the earth and wherever else they may be. He is going to show them his magnificent power. Yeah. My God. Look, take a look at this slide. I want you to see something, that Mount Hermon on this satellite map is almost exactly due north of the place where the real Mount Sinai is. Pastor, you missed it. You should have put it in the Sinai Peninsula. Nope. That's not where it's at. That's not where it's at. <laughs> Again, we could share hundreds of, of hours of information with you to, to do that, but this is for, our, this is for us today. Jesus... God himself is standing at Mount Sinai, and he's looking up to Hermon in the north and going, I got you. I know where you at. They're not going to have some weird and gay dance off here. They're about to go to war. <laughs> Ain't none of that going to happen. He's saying, I see you. I see you. I see how jealous you are of me. And, and the psalmist goes on, he's saying, you're going to ascend on high, leading a host of captives in your train. You are going to be so victorious that every knee will bow. And this is the kind of God that we serve. By the way, this verse exactly is quoted in Ephesians 4. 
But instead of saying you ascended on high, letting a host of uh, captives in your train and receiving gifts from among, among men, receiving the plunder, receiving the spoils, by the time we get to Ephesians 4, Paul is not lost on this. He understands exactly what he's quoting from. But in Ephesians 4, it says you're going to give gifts to men. In Psalm, he's saying you're going to be so victorious and what you see God giving what you see Jesus Christ giving to mankind as the gift of his victory are the fivefold ministers that are before you. Why? Because these are men who know the ancient path. These are supposed to be men who know the ancient mountain that they come from, and they can teach you how to be victorious just like come your on. great God. That's good. Somebody say, that's a gift. That's a gift. That is a serious gift in our lives. Well, I could just go study the Bible on my own. No. But you miss the gift of God through the fivefold ministry. You miss what he's doing corporately in your church. You miss what he's doing. Man, when you come on a Monday night, if I overly simplify the three men that are before you on a Monday night, Judah Stevens, Nick Arigina, and Justin Treister, you're looking at probably four out of the five gifts of the five-fold ministry right there before you. I'll let you figure that out. When you get Elder Eric here, do you know what you're seeing between four men? You're seeing five gifts that are before you to make you be able to be victorious. Amen. See, y'all just thought they were incredible young men anointed by God. That's true. What you're seeing is the gift that Jesus Christ gives to you to help you to be of the same victorious stock and nature Amen. that he is. Amen. That is not something small here, folks. That's not just a little bit of something that's good. He has given you something because he's standing at the south on Mount Sinai and saying, I got you. I'm coming for you. See, this idea of Jesus Christ with just a lamb draped around his shoulders, you got to get rid of that. I'm not saying that he hasn't had moments where that's, that tenderness that comes from him is so important. But he's the one with fire in his eyes. Yeah. He's the one that comes riding on a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. This is the one that we're looking at. But we're, we got more. Let's keep going. So let's go back to the slide that the pastor just walked through. And that what we see are the geographical regions of what we've been speaking about this whole time. That we have Mount Sinai where, where God dwells. And that Sinai is going to be in the sanctuary, as we said earlier. In relation to what pastor just read, receiving gifts from men. Think about what happened at Mount Sinai. That both receiving and giving of gifts were present. Meaning this, it was here that the Levites were established to serve as a gift to the people. It's here that the people received the law from the Lord that would guide and direct them knowing how to dwell in the land where his name would dwell forever once they would cross the Jordan. It was there that they were receiving the confidence to go and conquer and doing it as a nation formed and shaped and administrated by God. Now, I want you guys uh, in the sound booth, put up the title slide that we have as it relates to the geographical one we looked at. Now, by no means did we just Googleate for some picture of a mountain and arbitrarily picking somewhere <laughs> on planet Earth. What we do here is very intentional. What you have on the left the picture to upper left hand, that is a picture of Mount Hermon. This is the highest peak in the region of the nation of Israel. 
it is that spot that we've been speaking about since Genesis 6 and moving on. Where God chose to give his, his people, his treasure possession, his laws, commands, and the gift of the priesthood happened on this mountain on the right. Notice how the top third of it is charred black. Directly correlates with exactly what happened in the Bible. And we're thinking back to the geographical map. It's on the right-hand side, right? Not on the left-hand side in the Sinai Peninsula, but on the right-hand side that we saw. This mountain on the right-hand side is known as Jabal al-Laz, or as the people call it locally, the Bedouins, Jabal al-Musa, Mountain of Moses. That it is the historical presence of where God descended on this mountain and began to declare war on the mountain on the left-hand side. Now, let's all go to Psalm 68. We're going to pick up in verse 19, and we will read this in the ESV as well. Blessed be the Lord, who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. Selah. Our God is a God of salvation. And to God, the Lord belongs deliverance from death. But God will strike the heads of his enemies. The hairy crown of him who walks in his guilty ways. The Lord said, I will bring them back from Bashan. I will bring them back from the depths of the sea. That you may strike your feet in their blood. So how is God going to go to war and gain victory over these defective entities? It's through you that he chooses to do that. Why is he giving Moses and giving Israel and giving us the confidence to go conquer? Because it's God's ancient path all along that we get what we need from the mountain to go and conquer for his kingdom. God is declaring ahead of time his victory in this matter. That from his ancient mountain over the kingdom and the ancient mountain of Bashan and Hermon, that he will be victorious. And it's a certainty. And God's also declaring your victory as you walk in the path of his ancient mountain. The depths of the sea, speaking of Sheol and what's being brought out of it. You know, Job 26.5 speaks of this very same thing. That we are going to have the ability to conquer death in and of itself. There's no battle like this in Israel's history. So when we're looking at this, this must be a spiritual thing that happens, right? It is spiritual, but it, it is also something very physical that's going to take place. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 25. See, when you realize the layers that are going on there that the psalmist is talking about from the depths of the sea, when you read in Job, you realize that he's talking about the Rephaim. You realize that he's talking about the, the product of those Nephilim and what happened to them is in some type of watery sheol. This passage in Psalm is bringing out and saying, we're going to get you too. We're going to bring you back so we can stomp on your neck too. There's no enemy that won't be defeated. Current, past, present, future, it doesn't matter. Look at Isaiah 25 and verse 6. It says, on this mountain. Somebody say, this mountain. The Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich, rich food for all the peoples, a banquet of aged, ancient wine, the best of meats, 
and the most refined and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. Come on now, that should move your soul today. On this ancient mountain, you get to feast with the finest of ancient and aged wine. You're going to be feasting with what God has. That sounds pretty celebratory to me. It's not only a declaration of war, but it's a declaration of victory here. In this ancient, on this ancient mountain, he's going to provide victory over the archonic enemies. He's going to even provide victory over death itself. So guess what you know about this passage? Although it is an ancient path, we have not yet reached this. We have a condition in the middle of our service that honors people who have gone on in the Lord before us. We want to make that known. We want us to understand as a church that there's a great cloud of witnesses but death has not yet been fully defeated, but it will be. And where is it going to be defeated? On this mountain. See, the Lord has surely spoken and he will never relent. He will always have his ancient paths that take us and lead us because of his ancient mountains here. Let's look at verse 10. The hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain, but Moab will be trampled in their land as straw is trampled down in the manure. Come on. Yeah. They will stretch out their hands in it as swimmers stretch out their hands to swim. God will bring down their pride despite the cleverness of their hands. He will bring down your high fortified walls and lay them low. He will bring them down to the ground to the very dust. Look, in comparison to the mountain of the Lord, the one hand is rest the, the one the hand is resting on the ancient mountains that were inhabited by deviant powers it will be judged by god and brought low and like in psalm 68 this is a very statement of victory a certainty of what's going to happen that the hand of the lord will display his dominance i mean come on it's, i spoke spoke about trampling them down uh as straw is trampled down in manure that's dominance that's supremacy. And this is how God is going to display his power over these ancient mountains. Y'all ready to see some more dominance? I mean, I know we're trying to pack full our services and our sermons for you. I mean, we could just stop right now and call it a day. The idea of, of Sinai and, and Hermon gives you a pretty clear picture of the ancient past. But we got something pretty special for you. We got, you're going to be able to see that there's more victory ahead. Somebody say more victory. There's more dominance of our great king over these deviant, demonic defectors and any who are calling on and out to those ancient mountains for help. Let's go to Matthew chapter 16. Somebody say layers when you get there. Matthew 16. It says this. We're going to look at verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Okay, y'all ready for this? Now, I know that you're LCM. I know. I know how spiritually astute you are, how biblically literate you are, but we're going to have some layers. Somebody say layers. layers. We're going to show you a few things here. You know, of course, that the region of Caesarea Philippi 
is the region of Bashan. It is the region of Bashan. We are actually, Jesus is standing at the foothills of Mount Hermon. Now, one of the layers you know from history is by this point in history, they had set up basically what uh, what we would call a, an abortion mill of their day. They would offer children into this cave, uh, a temple that was made to the god Pan. Huh. Maybe he wasn't so much a god as one of those defectors that came down right there in that spot. See, and you know that about this. You know that about this region. You know that he is going to encounter this. But think about what Jesus is doing. He's no longer standing on Mount Sinai looking up at Herman and saying, I got you. He is now standing at Mount Hermon saying, I got you. Are you hearing me? What if his question here was not who, who do people say the Son of Man is? What if that question wasn't for the disciples? What if he just didn't, wasn't just curious about what they were thinking? What if he's asking questions that not only address the men that are before him, the powerful, anointed men, and he's going to teach them something? But what if his lesson has layers in it? What if his lesson is also speaking to angelic, archonic forces at the very place where it all began? What if he is doing something more than just the obvious here? See, Jesus has come from heaven, from the mountain of God's sanctuary, and has made his way to the very ancient mountain of Hermon to make sure that all the powers, all the principalities, all the puppets of the archonic powers are standing at attention. Would he have your attention at this moment? Looking at this story now, knowing the layers that are there, he's standing there and you're like, oh my goodness, I know what Matthew 16 says, but I've never seen it this way. What is, oh my goodness, he's not just talking to the disciples he is making one of the most bold declarations of his warrior king that has ever come. And he's doing it as a man standing there. My goodness, look at verse 14. That was just 13, by the way. Verse 14. They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah and still others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Huh. Huh. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my father who is in heaven. There is a divine revelation that's showing Peter and the disciples that they're from a different kind of kingdom that they are from the kingdom that originated like Mount Sinai, a different kind of mountain than the one that they're standing on. You didn't look to someone else. You didn't need flesh and blood to tell you. You were connected to me, and it no longer matters about the geography because you're standing next to me, and when you're with me, it's like you're in my sanctuary at Sinai. It wasn't flesh and blood that revealed it. Hey, church, since you're a part of a different kind of kingdom, Quit going to flesh and blood to try to figure out your answers. What does that mean when you go to your own thoughts? What does it mean when you go to, to Google or a doc? I don't care if you go to a doctor, but you're looking for that for your answers. You're seeking some type of other kingdom that is different than what you are made of. 
Do you see why it's so important that we really get on this ancient path from this ancient mountain and stay there with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our in intent that we have? The words and actions that follow here in the next few verses are not only statements about doctrine. Don't think about it like a doctrinal statement here. These are statements about absolute dominance. Jesus is going to body slam them right here in front of them. This is a declaration of war. It's a declaration of certain dominance. Listen to verse 18 and understand the dominant force that Jesus is presenting here. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Let's focus this on us for just a minute, though. You are life-changing ministries. You know that this statement is about the revelation of Jesus' messianic ministry. It's a declaration of it. You know that they are standing at the gates of Hades where this you know, abortion mill was in and of and of its day. But here Jesus is giving them the keys to the kingdom on the very ancient mountain that was the origin of heavenly defection. It is that bold stance of confidence that I'm going to dominate you. And not just me, but the church that comes from me. That what I do, you also are going to do. This is the fulfillment of what we read earlier in Psalm 68. That I will strike your feet in their blood. That what God is powerful enough to do, he will make you powerful enough to do. You see that Jesus is being led by the Father to pick a very intentional and strategic place to make a declaration of war. And that in doing so, it's going to demonstrate his ability to dominate. But it doesn't just stop here at the foothills of Mount Hermon. Before you move on, you understand that Jesus is giving the keys to the disciples? Of course he can conquer. He's of heavenly origin. Of course he can do this. There's not even a question about that. He called that from a long time ago. He's standing here and giving the keys to people. I am going to come up to you and fight you. And I'm going to say, I'm going to take this weak spaghetti strand and I'm going to beat you upside the head so much that you're going to cry for mercy and I will give you none. Here's the keys. I'm going to go give it to little children. Here's the keys. I'm going to win this war by giving it to the most inept compared to you thing that I can find. Here we go. Because I love them. And I'm going to empower them. And you can't do anything about it. That is the kind of life that we're living here. Let's and keep going. What Pastor is saying, it's one thing to be uh, a display of dominance with overwhelming force. It's another to beat somebody up with a plastic spoon. That's dominance. So Matthew 17, verse 1. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter. James and John, the brother of James, and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. So having been there myself with, with some of you guys in the room at Caesarea Philippi, 
a very high mountain from that origin and point that would be around a six-day journey on foot is the very summit of Mount Hermon. He took them up to that very place of origin, and look, look what happens. And he's taken his closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, the very ones that would come under the most attack and opposition as the church grew. He wanted them to have the confidence to go and conquer, and so he went to the pinnacle of heavenly defection and defiance. Let's look at verse 2. So instead of just standing there at the door, knocking on the fort, he just kicks open the door and goes right into the center of it. He is standing on top of it and going, what happens there? There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Don't be mad at Peter. Don't go off on a hundred sermons that you can think about Peter right now. We're going to move on from there. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't you be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. In the context of what we're doing, set aside the thousand sermons that you've heard preached on this passage and the transfiguration and how much we all love reading it, which we do. See, on the ancient mountain where the ancient defection occurred, on the ancient mountain that, that was displaying hatred back towards Sinai in, in Psalm 68, on the ancient mountain that typified the entirety of the kingdom of darkness itself, we have Jesus displaying his supremacy and perfection and his perfect connection with his Father. You're seeing this. No wonder, Peter. Let's, 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 let's not go with what he's saying here. By the second epistle that Peter wrote, you know what he's saying? He declared that he heard God's voice speak to him from a sacred mountain. Why can Peter in 2 Peter 1 call it a sacred mountain? Because of what Jesus just did right here. I came in and I took over your fort too. What you established is your home base. I just crushed it and it's now mine. I got both bases. Why is God telling them, why is Jesus telling them here, don't be afraid? If Jesus can stand at the foothills of Hermon and say that the gates of hell cannot stop him and it cannot stop anyone who is of his kingdom, who is from his mountain. If Jesus can then ascend to the summit of the ancient defective mountain and reveal his nature. I can't imagine. There's no way that we could picture what this is like. You see the heavenly body that is before you, this star-like power that is before you here in Jesus Christ. He can reveal his nature. It was proof then, and it's proof now, that he cannot be stopped, that he will not be yeah. stopped, and his desire is to empower you and to empower me yes. to do what he wants. Amen. Is this not exactly what God is calling this church to? Do not, 
be tricked into trying to find something in your own flesh and blood to explain what's going on. No wonder your emotions are bonkers this week. No wonder things have been happening in your home. No wonder dreams and difficulties have been coming because you're actually starting to tap in to something ancient. But you got to understand that you got to fight for it. But this should give you confidence. You cannot lose. Amen. Because if you lose, it means that he can lose. And that ain't going to happen. No. That cannot happen. I am the conqueror. You are the conqueror. He is making us to be even more than conquerors in this place. Can somebody say hallelujah? Hallelujah. So having stood there, witnessed the declaration of war at Caesarea Philippi, ascended to the top of Mount Hermon, seeing the transfiguration and Receive from heaven that confidence to go conquer. Where do you go from there? You go out to go conquer. You take that confidence that he gave you, and now it's time to start to put it into practice. So there they are, the disciples, right? Experiencing what they did at the pinnacle of Mount Hermon. And they're descending. They're heading back down the mountain. And they're having conversations as they're walking back down. The, the disciples finally get exactly that John the Baptist was Elijah, right? They get some spiritual insight and revelation to this whole ancient path of what God has been building all along and the characters that are playing in it. And along the way, they encounter a boy with a singular demon. A father had a son who was possessed and the son kept throwing himself into the fire. Some of you parents think that you have it bad. But they're not demon-possessed and throwing themselves in fire every time that they see it. This father had some troubles, but um, I want to point something out here. What had they just witnessed in multiple fashion? The supremacy and dominance of God over these Rephaim, over these archonic fallen powers. And now, giving their disciples the confidence to go conquer, they encounter a situation of a singular, disembodied, Rephaim spirit inside of a boy. And they're unable to cast him out. <laughs> Wait a minute. What happened to all that confidence? What happened to all that power? Now's the time to display it. Jesus steps in. And uh, truth be told, the father says, yeah, this is what's going on, Jesus. Uh, I had your disciples pray for my boy, but uh, they couldn't do it. So can you do it? Jesus, this very rider on the white horse, he steps in and aids his disciples, strengthening their confidence to conquer, and again shows them how it's done. He doesn't let that failure linger and loom over them. But for the sake of the disciple and the father and his son, he steps in and shows dominance over these, these de demonic powers. Let's go to verse 20 and see how this continues. He replied, because you have so little faith, truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible to you. How many sermons have been preached on this alone, but outside of the context of what we just covered with Caesarea Philippi and the pinnacle of Mount Hermon? All the background of what God has been warring with all along and wanting to display his conquering power through his people. 
Jesus sets them up and say, hey, guys, disciples, look, let your faith increase because you can do this. I just showed you how up there. I'm going to show you now. Because if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can look to that Mount Hermon and say, move out of my way in the name of Jesus. There is no power too strong that is greater than the God that resides within you. You have everything that you need. And even if it's as, if it's as small as a mustard seed, it still contains the power of God to display his dominance. Look, these men have literally just been given the keys to the kingdom. They've seen a glorified Savior, and they've been promised the ultimate victory. Now, it's time to muster up the faith. As small as a mustard seed and speak to this mountain. Joshua 12, Genesis 11, Genesis 6 are these very entities that they are going to war and that we are going to war with. The very defections that have been going on since ancient times, but God has always provided an ancient solution on his mountain. Come on, doesn't that make this passage make so much more sense? Yes. Haven't you always envisioned this? I mean, let's be honest. As you're standing in front of like 100 million tons of rock, an actual mountain, and if I, if I have enough faith, just a little bit, I can say this mountain for it to move. Is that, he's talking about the kingdom that's right before them. Jesus has already shown them the way. All you need is a little bit of faith to rise up, and you're able to look at the archonic powers and say, I am of a different mountain than this. You get your mountain out of my way. You get yourself out of the way. Doesn't that change how we should engage with our daily lives, church? My goodness, no longer are you going to allow a headache, a tummy ache, to set you back a month in the kingdom. (laughs) Or a day. Or a day. Got to look excited there. A month. Look, for our final scripture today, turn with us to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to close this out. But you got to let your faith start rising up. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for writing things down in your word that shows the frailty of mankind. Those are still the same ones that he gave the keys of the kingdom to. Shaking the keys at them, saying, I give it to this guy. Literally, they can't go out and cast out one demon. But that's not where they stayed. Amen. These same men were empowered by the Holy Spirit and, rav- and just dominated all the mountainous kind of places that they ever came to. They turned cities upside down. They turned nations upside down. You don't, don't think we're better than them right here. This is the, the kind of a passage that gives you hope that you can do it. Yeah. Then when you can't cast out the singular demon in front of you, that you can learn how to say to the mountain that it be gone and it will move. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 8. Although I am the less of the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of God, uh, riches of Christ, and to make plain. Everybody say, make plain. Make plain. To everyone, the administration of this mystery. We are making things plain to you today. The Lord is beginning to make plain some things that have been in ancient. Aren't you glad to know that the story of God is more complex than you thought it was to start with? Just believe on Jesus. What a small fraction of that. But the Lord's design is that as you walk on the ancient paths, as you understand the ancient mountains, it becomes plain what he's going after and what he's going after through you. 
make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, for which ages past was kept hidden in God. There was a mystery about this, who created all things. God's intent was that now. Somebody say now. Now. Through the church, he kicked in the gates of hell and said, it's right here on this kind of revelation and on this rock that I'm going to build my church. To do what? Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to everyone on the earth. No. To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realm. Yeah. He has given the keys of his kingdom. His intent is that you and I are declaring things to the heavenly realms. We got to get this. We got to get this. Our God could do it all by himself. He doesn't need an army. He's God. But he is going to gain glory for himself by empowering you. Do you see why we have to be so far past just handling sin? Stop sinning, little church. You're empowered by the heavens to declare to the heavens a story. He's giving you keys. He's saying, you got to be like me, and I'm going to win, and I'm going to teach you how to win. The foot that I'm going to put on the neck of the enemy is going to be your foot. You think Romans 16 is where the idea came from? That God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your foot? The reason Romans 16 is so beautiful is because it relates to the entirety of the rest of the Word of God. Make manifold, uh, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his ancient eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him. Somebody say in him. Is anybody in this house walking in him? Is anybody in him today? Then through faith in him, we should approach God with freedom. Somebody say freedom. Freedom. And confidence. Somebody say confidence. Confidence. Why? Because you are the same dominant, you have the same dominating force inside of you that could mock the enemy right on their own home turf, right in their face and say, I'm not afraid of you. I'm not even a little bit afraid of you. I'm going to dominate you and I'm going to give the keys to them to do it. Everybody stand to your feet. Is God building your confidence to conquer? It comes through him revealing himself to you. What I'm so thankful for, grateful for, is the way that God has been leading us for many, many years to fully grasp what we're getting right now. Understand his ancient past, knowing exactly what resides on his ancient mountain and the confidence to conquer. So verse 12 is going to be our action in response to hearing everything that we've heard. In him. The confidence that we have is first found by knowing that we are in him. This is his supernatural power. This is his blood. This is his miracle to labor, his spirit, his word, his will being displayed on earth through you. And he desires to.
He desires to have his will displayed through you. Everybody say, he chose me. That in him and through faith in him. This morning, we're going to let our faith rise. We're going to take that mustard seed that is inside of us and trust that it has the ability to move mountains. And particularly mountains that are in opposition to him. And we're going to approach God right now and continue in freedom and confidence. So as we pray, I want you to raise up your hands, lift up your heads, have a victorious heart, have a victorious voice that signals freedom and confidence in your God because he's inside of you. Lord, we thank you for your divine nature that has given us everything we need for life and godliness. You have given us your presence. You have given us your power to dominate and conquer just as you have. Lord, use the hands of the people in this room. Use their feet to stand on the necks of the enemy.